great is God, how great is our God. We serve a great God. You believe that? Boy, I tell you what, if that doesn't get you going this morning, you can't get going, I guess. Glad you're here this morning. Are you ready to get into God's Word? Okay, if you've got your Bible, while I start this introduction part, go ahead and, and turn it over to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And, and while you're doing that, I know you're a multitasker, so I want to ask you a couple of questions. How many math people are there in the room? Raise your hand. See, I can already see some of you. You're, you know if you're a math person or not because your hand immediately went like this. And if you had to think about, am I a math person, you're probably not just because that line of thought. Okay? And some of you, there's no, you, I could see your head begin like this. I said, are you a math? And before I could even finish the question, you're going, no, I am not a math person. I am not a math person. And my family, I am the math person. If you're an engineer, you're the math person. Uh, if you're a builder, uh, in the first service, Mike McClellan, immediately, I said, who's the math people? He'd raise his hand because if he's not a math guy, your house is going to be crooked, right? If you're an engineer, you want the plane to fly, you're a math guy. Why do I like math? I've got uh, undergrad in quantitative methods and, and information systems, which is uh, heavily weighted in statistical data analysis. It's math. Why do I love that? Here's why. There's an answer. You fill in the formulas and you come up with an answer. I've not once come up with an a, a answer to one of those formulas and someone say, how does that make you feel? What did you think about the number seven as the answer to that? Who cares? The answer is seven, right? It's, it's right or wrong. It's math. It's an answer. And the, the very fundamentals of math are what? Addition and subtraction. Math is based on addition and subtraction. And as a Christian, as a Christian, you should be involved in math. Now, you may not have the formulas and you may not have the, the math capabilities to do all that kind of stuff. But as a Christian, you are responsible for addition and subtraction. And that's what we're going to look at today. Put this first slide up here. I want you to see that. Anybody knows what that means? He is greater than I. That's exactly right. The mathematics of Christianity. If you are a Christian, you are a mathematician. And some of y'all, that just scares you to death because I've, my, my family, um, you do not, I'm the math guy. That's it. Um, but as a Christian, you are a mathematician. So here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to pray. Then we're going to read this scripture and we're going to see uh, three things that John the Baptist models for us as far as math goes and, and the way our Christian life should model his, okay? Father, we thank you so much for this day. I thank you for just this time of worship that we've had this morning. I thank you, Lord, for the movement that I've, I've seen this morning. I thank you, Father, for the, the response we've seen to your word this morning already. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit will continue moving among us. I pray, God, that you'll have your way, that you'll find us obedient. And, Lord, you'll be honored in what you see and what you hear from your children this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said. There used to be a young man that come to student ministry that had a T-shirt that I just loved. And what it said is, math is hard. 
That's all it said on it. And he wore it all the time. Now, I don't know if he was making a statement about math and, and his inability to do math or, or that was just the only T-shirt that he had or that was his favorite T-shirt. But for some reason, that stuck in my head. Math is hard. To a math person, math really isn't that hard because it's just a formula that you follow. It's a set of equations that you follow that you work out by a set of rules and all of a sudden you get the answer. But the Christian math, Christian math, the addition and subtraction of Christianity sometimes can be overwhelming and a little scary. And John tells us about that. Quick context here. We're reading out of the book of John. And he's talking about John the Baptist. So go ahead and swap that slide. You don't want, to, don't want, you, want you to get confused about who we're talking about and, and what they're doing. We'll look at it here in just a second, a, a little more in depth. But right now, read this out of God's word with me. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. Now, get that. Sometimes we just kind of read through the words. Here's what happened. Parallel ministries, John the Baptist and John. Okay, John is writing about John the Baptist and Jesus comes on the scene. And here's the way they approached him and said that. Some of John's followers went, do you see what's happening? You've been here out in the wilderness, out on basically the moon on the western plains of Kansas, telling about the one who's coming. You're talking about the Messiah, and you're talking, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And all of a sudden, you get close to some water, and you start baptizing, and you see uh, your crowd forming, and your numbers are growing, and then all of a sudden, here comes this guy, and everybody's moving over toward him. That's how, what do you think? Of, do you see what's going on? That's the way they approached that. That's what they were saying to him right there. John answered, great answer. John the Baptist answered, a person cannot receive any one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness, bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And here's the verse I really want us to pay attention to this morning. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is written by... The Apostle John, and he's writing about John the Baptist, and it's written to Jews and Gentiles. So that means there's timeless theological truth that we can glean from this this morning. Everything in the Bible is written so that we can gather lifestyle changes from it. And the theme of, John, uh, of, of the book of John is this, that Jesus is the promised Messiah and Son of God. By believing in Jesus, people can have eternal life. We believe that as a church, don't we? We believe that by believing in Jesus Christ, people can have eternal life. We believe that lives can be changed through the blood of Jesus. We believe that a life dedicated to Christ can be different than it was before it started. 
That's one of our core beliefs at Emmanuel Baptist Church. We're going to look at three things this morning. Three characteristics of John the Baptist that should be modeled. Uh, He must increase. I must decrease. Is there anything you can do to make God more God? Is there anything that you can do to make God bigger than he is? See, you're going, "Uh, no, kind of. Say it with confidence. No. God will be God no matter what you do. No, God will be God no matter what I do. See, a, a very great man said this to me one time. He said, boy, there is nothing that you have to offer that God can't live without. And he wasn't being mean. I, he was just kind of letting me know. You know, I, I, got, I was kind of young. I thought I was something. And he goes, boy, there is nothing that you have to offer that God can't live without. He is going to be God no matter what I do. Because if there was something I could do to make him more God, that means there's something I could do to make him less God. And that's not possible. So when John is saying he must increase and I must decrease, what is he really saying that? What he's saying is we must adopt this, intentionally adopt a lifestyle that seeks to promote Christ and follow his teachings. We must adopt a lifestyle. This goes against my nature. I don't like submission. I don't like being submissive. Our nature is to do it my way. And what John is saying here that we, for him to increase and me to decrease, is I have to submit myself to his authority and just from his answer we can see that. Go ahead and swap that. Just keep going. You awake back there, WR? Just checking. I've known WR a long time. We're good friends. I know how he likes naps. (laughs) Three characteristics of John the Baptist that should be modeled. First, next slide there. Keep going. There we go. A lifestyle of service. A lifestyle of service. Click it again. There we go. A lifestyle of service. John's whole life was dedicated to serving. John's whole life was was dedicated to telling others about the Christ coming. His whole life was dedicated to denying himself and putting Christ First, a lifestyle of service to his Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. Now, see, the, the Bible tells us that in Mark that for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. The model of Jesus Christ is one of a servant. The model of Christ that John the Baptist is modeling is one of service. Therefore, the timeless theological truth that we can get out of this is that I should model their behavior and be a servant. How does that look? How does it look? How many of you serve somewhere? In a, you serve in Awana, you serve somewhere. How many of you serve somewhere? Yeah. Does it feel funny raising my hand? Because, see, service people kind of don't want to do that because they're already going, I don't want everybody to know I'm serving. Listen, if you're going, oh, boy, I hope he doesn't really push that and have to get my hand up, you should be serving somewhere. 
If you're a Christian, you should be serving somewhere, serving others somewhere. John spent his life, Jesus gave his life to serve others. It is not fair, and you are not living the life of of Christianity that God expects from you if you don't serve anywhere. Now, that, I'm not necessarily saying you have to work in the nursery, although they can always use help. That is not my gift. If you've known me for more than 30 minutes, you know that working with little babies and little kids is not my spiritual gift. But there's other spiritual gifts that I have and other areas that I can serve. If you're not serving somewhere, you need to model the behavior of John, model the behavior of Jesus, and get serving. Does that make sense? As many people as we have right here, as many people as we have right here, you'd think, well, there's a lot of people here, and I'm pretty sure somebody else is doing that. Have you ever heard the 80-20 rule? Anybody ever heard that, that 20% of the people do 80% of the work? I didn't believe that until I started working at a church. That is true. 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. We are expected to serve. We should desire to serve others. It may not be, you know, I may not have that intrinsic desire that, oh, man, I just want to serve. But just out of obedience and for thankfulness because of the gift that I've been given through the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ of salvation, I should love him enough and care about him enough that I want to do what he says and I serve others. Service. Submission, putting yourself lower. How do I decrease? By putting myself lower. And as I put myself lower, Christ gets pushed higher. Christ becomes higher as I become lower. Now, I'm not saying go around with a, woe is me, I'm just a worm. No, no, no. Let your lifestyle, the adoption of this lifestyle of Christianity... Add to who Christ is through your lifestyle. Not to his deity, but to how people see Christ in you. John's whole desire was for Christ to be pushed out to the front and him to fade away in the back and become invisible. And not so people could give him a big thumbs up, not so he could get patted on the back. In fact, where did John the Baptist end up? Boy, there's a great bumper sticker, isn't it? Hey, serve Christ. Go to prison. Get your head cut off. That's what happened, right? I don't think we have the fear of going to prison yet and having our heads cut off. Not yet for serving Christ. And we still want, listen, as Christians, we need to model a lifestyle of service to others. Look at the next thing there. Next characteristic, an absence of ungodly pride. I say an absence of ungodly pride. Is is pride okay sometimes? Yeah, like I'm proud of my children or I'm proud of the work. Uh, See where it becomes ungodly pride is when I go, I'm so proud of my kids because they're so much better than yours. (laughs) I'm so proud of my kids because they're not like yours. Or I'm so proud of my wife because she's so much hotter than yours. 
I'm proud of the house that I built because there's nothing that you could build. That's when pride becomes sinful and ungodly. But being proud of, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. You can have that godly pride. But the ungodly pride will destroy your life. See, John pushed his pride to the side. His initial reaction right there, based on how they were talking to him, could have been this. I can't believe this. You're absolutely right. I kind of noticed that my congregation was thinning and that people weren't really listening anymore to me and it was kind of going away and all of a sudden I look over and there's Jesus. He's got all the ones that I've buttered up for him. Can you believe that? I've been eating locusts and eating honey and wearing these smelly clothes, going around in the wilderness and now he comes in and he takes all the credit. pride but he didn't do that he goes perfect he's got to get bigger and I need to get smaller anyway that's my message my joy is complete I've succeeded because people are seeing Jesus instead of me see pride can be very detrimental in the life of a Christian ungodly pride can destroy and hinder where do we see it most of the time i I have people, Dr. Boswell does, come up all the time and go, boy, during that invitation, I really did want to, I wanted to come down there, but, but, and I always say the same thing. And if you ever come up to me and say, boy, I really wanted to come down there and talk to somebody during the invitation, I'm going to say, but what? But what? What's keeping you from following God's direction in your life? What's keeping you this morning from going across this room to restore a, a relationship with someone that's broken. What is it this morning that's keeping you from coming down this aisle and, and talking to somebody about accepting Christ as your Savior? There's a person not too long ago who accepted Christ as their Savior. And I, I want to say older person, but they're my age, so that put me in that category, and we're not going to do that yet. Um, this person came down and... and they ended up accepting Christ as Savior. And, and when you say, what's the, what's the reasoning behind it? Why, why, why haven't you done that? Well, I've known a long time. Why? Well, because I've always been in church. What would people think? Pride. Pride. Don't let your pride take you to hell. Don't let your pride keep you from doing what God would have you do and being obedient. The absence of ungodly pride in your life begins to free up the Holy Spirit. Seeing other people and, and getting mad. Have you ever done that going, why do they deserve that? I'm as good a Christian as they are. Pride. Pride had no place in the life of John the Baptist. In, in fact, his whole goal, he must increase. Christ has to get so far out in front of me, and I've got to get lower and lower and in the background so much that all they see is Jesus, and I become invisible. That's what he's saying do right there. My life has to make Christ so big that nobody can see me. Is that where your life is this morning? Is there pride that's keeping you from responding to God's direction the way he would have you respond? 
The Bible talks a lot about this ungodly pride. In Proverbs chapter 11, it says this, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction. Pride goes before destruction. Those two verses alone right there should scare us into dropping our pride. And be in the person. See, when we refuse to drop our pride and do what God is saying, is what we're saying is, like a little kid, I refuse to submit, I'm doing it my way. I will do it my way. Anybody have submission problems? I'm not kidding. My daddy used to give me, I, I used to get my rear end beat at least once a week. And I, there's weeks that I should have got two. Because I was just hard-headed and stubborn and refused to submit. Now, before you get on your pious pony, you are too. Anybody in here ever speed? Liar, liar, pants on fire. And nobody raised their hand. Anybody get in your car and drive faster than the posted speed limit sign? Yeah? Look at the ladies going, I do. <laughs> I sure do. You know what you're doing? You're refusing to submit to the governmental authorities that God has established over you. Right? What you're saying is, I know better than you do about what the, the correct speed for this road should be. Therefore, I'm going to ignore your suggestion of 30 miles an hour and I'm going to go the speed that I choose to do. Not submitting to the governmental authorities. And sometimes, just like Christians do, if there is a lack of submission to God, sometimes the discipline of God will come. The Bible says God disciplines those who he loves. And you can't be out of that obedient submission to God and be where you need to be. Sometimes we get tickets because we speed. I don't, because I don't speed. I, like, I drive like a grandma. No offense to grandmothers. Because um, I've seen some of you grandmothers drive, Judy Neese. And, uh, oh, I said that out loud. I'm sorry. <laughs> She's got a cool car, though. An absence of ungodly pride that results in submission to God's authority. An absence of ungodly pride that leads to submission to God's authority makes God increase and makes me decrease. Submission of my will to his will makes me decrease and God increase. There's people sitting in here this morning, right now, hearing me say that, that know you need to get up out of your seat and come down here and ask Christ to be your Lord and Savior. But because you've been in church, since you can remember, you refuse to do it. And occasionally you can get your stuff together and things seem to be going okay, but inside you the Holy Spirit's always gnawing, pulling, going, you know you're not one of my kids. You know you're not one of my kids. You know you're not one of my kids. Will you submit to God's authority this morning? Will you take that first step and will you move towards starting this relationship with Christ the way he desires? Or will you... Mend a relationship this morning. Submit to God's authority the way John the Baptist did. Look at the third thing. We must have an understanding of the source of power. The third characteristic of John the Baptist, an understanding of the source of power. First thing he says, hey, nobody gets anything that God doesn't allow anyway. 
it's all his. He's all, he's divvied it out anyway. First thing he did, he goes, the only thing I have is because he gave it to me. John understood the source of the power. Uh, I had a job one time where I was, I traveled a lot, and Sam was small. He was little, uh, running around the house. And anybody play golf? You know those little uh, metal, they look like forks that you tighten your cleats with? You know what I'm talking about? It looks like a little tuning fork, kind of. Well, I come home, and, and Karen shows me there's a burn mark on the wall in the hallway where Sam has found that golf cleat and went, looks like it should fit, doesn't it? And plugs it right into the wall. I mean, a burn, like, the blue flash of electricity, fire shooting out of the wall. And Sam, perfectly okay. (laughs) I'm convinced, this is not in my notes, but I'm convinced God's got something big for my son because he should have died several times already. Why would he do that? Because he didn't understand the power that was bottled up inside of that wall, inside that little plug. And see, as a Christian, if I've accepted Christ as my Savior, I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. When I accept Christ as my Lord and my Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells me. How does that work? I don't know, but it does. And he's inside of me living. And all I have to do is tap into I have got God with me. Everywhere I go, when I'm driving, I have God with me. When I'm sleeping, I have God with me. When I'm going to Dillon's, I've got God with me. When I go to Walmart, which I'm doing fewer and fewer times now, I've got God with me. I have the power of the Almighty God resident within me to help me accomplish making, uh, living a lifestyle that makes God bigger and me smaller. I don't have to do it on my own. And John understood the source of this power. Not in his own abilities. Not in his own strengths. But through the power of God, he could do these things. So let me ask you something. As we're getting ready to wrap up, how's your math? Is God increasing in your life? And are you submitting? And are you becoming smaller and smaller and smaller? The, the first service, uh, I'm working with a young man. We've been working for quite a while that I just love him to death. And some of you know him, some of you don't. His name is Aaron Yoder. And I, I've never met a, a young man that I have greater respect for. Uh, this boy will stop, uh, boy, 26 years old, this boy will stop on the road, orders tracks, stops on the road, sees somebody walking and goes, I better share Christ with him. He will get off work, shower up, and start going door to door through areas of his neighborhood and places sharing the gospel of Christ. Just this burden this desire to be submissive to God's direction in his life. And I've got to tell you, this, I love this kid. And this morning he came down and, and he said, God's calling me into ministry. To submit all of his plans 
all of his desires, all the things that he's laid out. He said, I don't know how it looks. I don't know what to do next, but I know he is. And I just want you to know that. Total submission to the will of God. What an example. What an example, man. I just, what an example for me. I just grab him and give him, you know, a big man hug. Because here's this 26-year-old man doing what all of us should be doing. Submitting to the will of God in our lives. How's your math? Is God becoming bigger and are you becoming smaller? Our musicians are going to come. And I want to ask you this, this morning. Is your lifestyle indicative of what it is you say you believe? Are you serving? Are you living a lifestyle of service? Do you know where the power comes from and, and how is your pride? Is there something that God is asking you to do this morning that your pride has kept you from doing? Is there something that God desires from you right now that you need to act immediately? See, partial obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. And you can change that this morning. You want God to begin to increase? What's he telling you to do? You want yourself to move into the back until all that people can see when they look at you is Jesus and you become invisible? Submit to his authority and know that as a child of God, you're not doing it on your own. You're doing it through the power of the Holy Spirit. You may need to come and be baptized this morning. You may need to come and say, hey, I've never been baptized. I've never accepted Christ as my Savior. But this morning, because I want God to increase in my life and I want to decrease, I want to accept Christ as my Savior. Or I want to submit myself to what he says and be baptized. Or I want to join this church. Or I want to go across the room and grab a person to pray and heal a relationship that's been broken. See, God's word doesn't go out for you just to hear it and go home and eat chicken as much as I love chicken. God's word is de de delivered so you can act on it. God's word is brought to you so you can go away differently than you walked in. Me too. How will you respond? How's your math? I'm going to pray and then Andy's going to lead us and Matt and I will be down here. And if you need to speak to one of us, please. Don't hesitate. Don't dawdle. Don't think about it. Do what God wants you to do. And, and even before I get down there, as soon as the music starts, just get up and come down here. Do what God would have you do. Make Jesus big this morning. Push your pride aside. Make him big. Make yourself smaller. Thank you for joining us for this broadcast of Emmanuel Baptist Church. Emmanuel is located at 1415 South Topeka in Wichita, Kansas and is easily accessible from all parts of the city and surrounding areas. 
Every Sunday morning, Emmanuel offers two worship services. The first service begins at 9.30 a.m. and offers a contemporary worship setting in a casual and relaxed atmosphere. Our second worship service begins at 10.50 a.m. in our worship center and is led by the Emmanuel Choir and Orchestra. Both services are centered around strong biblical teaching where the Bible is presented in a clear and relevant way. Life groups for children and adults of all ages are provided at 9.30 a.m. and 10.50 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.ibcwichita.com. That's www.ibcwichita.com.